The last number of weeks, I've been dealing with a subject called the gospel. And uh, it's a biggie. I call the gospel, and the last, last time it was, uh, the light shines through darkness, the light shines in all things, in all people, in everything. And last week we got in some pretty heavy verses, and I've uh, uh, got some feedback this week. Um, some discussions were started as a result of this, you know, and you know, some people are wondering, are you taking things out of context? Are you pulling that verse just to make that say that? And if you heard me last week, I did say quite clearly, I can't tell you exactly everything it means, but I can show you what the scriptures do say. And if we've never stopped to look at those key verses and thought through what they could mean for us, then it's just as bad as highlighting something else that doesn't mean what we think it says. And we can make the Bible say almost anything. You really can. People have gone to wars over the Bible, and they've killed people using the Bible as, here, justification. It's crazy. The thing that's got me going, the thing I want to point everyone towards is the love of God. There's a couple of things we know, and there's a lot we don't know. So what is it that we know? We do know God loves us, right? Do we have that? Is that like basic 101? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's not just for kids. No, it's not. It's for everybody. Look at the children there. Like God loves everybody. God is love. Period. He is love. And what I want you to do is focus on the verses I'm showing you. Let the Holy Spirit reveal to you what it means. Not just what I think it means. Because we can all leave here and, and have a different interpretation of what a certain passage can mean, and that's fine. We're still one with each other. We're still loved by God. We're still family. That's important. What we don't know Oh, wait, that's a big list. <laughs> we don't know the ramifications of God's love. We don't understand how far it really goes. So to say you've arrived and you get grace, you get, I get his love, may I challenge you and me and say, no, you don't, and no, I don't. We don't get it. We're getting it, but we don't get it. It's more. It's bigger. And if you think you've capped, okay, this is as far as God's love goes, <laughs> it goes so much farther than your cap. And I've watched my cap move. It goes higher and higher and higher. It gets shoved. So I didn't realize his love goes there. Oh my goodness, he actually loves those people too? Like, it's scary. It's exciting. So I want to remind us, what do we know? What don't we know? Colossians 3, a bit of a recap from last week. And have put on the new self who is being renewed or renovated to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, not Greeks either by birth or culture, uh, Scythian, a slave free, 
But Christ is all and in all. Am I making that up or does it say that? Christ is in all. That does not mean everybody's a believer. But it says this. So having that truth there that needs to stay in sight. It has to be in your peripheral vision. Okay? Next. For by him all things were created. We're talking about Christ. We're going to show you a video in just a moment, so I've got to make sure that sound is on uh, for, uh, for the video. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him, Christ, and for him. Everything has been created for Christ. Even the things you think are detestable, ugly, and no good, and useless, even poison, freaking ivy. All right? I don't get it. I don't understand it. But it's all for Him. Just because we may not see the good does not mean there isn't a good. Even for the things we can't stand. And in Him, all things hold together. Everything is being held together. And I want to show you this next clip. It's about six minutes long, but man, is it good. And some of you have heard it before. You've seen it before. But it's, it's like sums up a really cool truth of how wonderfully God has created us and how his light shines in and through everyone, everybody, having the light of Christ shine through them. Everybody's got the DNA. Everybody. And this little clip is a cool encouragement for that. Lights out, and let's go. Long story short, the tour was winding down. Last time around, we were in Tyler, Texas. The night was over. A guy walks up to me. I wish I could tell you the whole story. It was so of God. Introduces himself to me. says, how are you doing? I just want to say hello. I said, it's nice to meet you. He says, you guys winding the tour down. Uh, where are you going to go from here? I said, well, I'm on my way back home to Atlanta, Georgia. He said, well, what's next for you? I said, I'm going to be preaching the next two Sundays for my pastor back in Atlanta. He said, oh, cool, what are you preaching on? I said, well, the series is on the glory of God in the human body. He said, that's really amazing. I'm a molecular biologist at the university down the road. G give me your talk. And I was like, oh, wow, I wasn't quite yet ready to unload the talk for a molecular biologist so I kind of stumbled through what I had and he's kind of being kind and gracious and like uh-huh that's good and then he says well what's your big left hook you gotta have a left hook a big finish right I said I don't have a left hook yet he said oh Louie oh man your left hook is laminin and I'm, I'm totally blank on laminin he goes Louie it's a cell adhesion molecule protein molecule do you know about proteins? I'm like, no. He said, Louis, cells organize into certain molecular structures and that determines what protein there are. There are between 10 and 60,000 proteins in the human body. We don't even know how many proteins are in the human body. But one of them is a cell adhesion molecule. It's organized into this certain structure and that tells the cell what its job is in the body. And this one is a cell adhesion molecule. I'm like, 
All right. He said, no, Louis. It's like the rebar of the human body. The steel they put in the concrete when they lay the foundations of things, it's that stuff. It's, it's holding your membranes together. It's the glue of the human body, Louis. It's laminin. You've got to tell them about laminin. And I'm like, I promise you, I'm going home and tell them about laminin. And I'm sure when I do, revival is going to sweep across the church and probably around the world when I tell them. He said, no, 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 no. You've got to see laminin. I'm like, okay, let's see it. He said, no, 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 you need to go look it up online. You need to go Google laminin. I don't even know how to spell laminin. Takes his card out, he writes on the back, L-A-M-I-N-I-N. I'm like, okay, I cannot wait to get to my computer and get on Google, click on images, type in laminin, and I'm waiting, and these little thumbnails come up on the screen, and I'm like... That's laminin, the cell adhesion molecule. Woo! <laughs> I am so excited. I am beside myself. I cannot believe what I'm seeing. I love laminin. I'm so fired up. <laughs> you should see laminin, I guess. That's the thing, right? Okay. Here is a scientific diagram of the laminin cell adhesion molecule that's holding your body together right now, okay? This is what I found right here. No, come on, that's crazy. That's just crazy. I just can't believe it. I emailed that guy back so fast, I'm like, wow, 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 what in the world? He said, you want to see an actual laminin molecule? I'm like, oh no, man, the diagram was cool for me. I'm happy with that. Don't, don't bother sending anything else. I'm like, yes! And he sends me this image, an electron microscopic image of an actual laminin protein molecule. It looks just like this. How crazy is that? That the stuff that holds our bodies together, that's holding the lining of your organs together, holding your skin on, is in the perfect shape of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And immediately I'm thinking about the words of Paul in Colossians 1. You know this beautiful passage where Paul's talking about the supremacy of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. He says, for by Him, talking about Jesus Christ, all things have been created. Things in heaven and things on earth. All things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. But then the next verse goes on to say this. It's crazy. And He, Jesus, is before all things. And in Him, that is, in Jesus Christ, all things hold together. It's right, it's right there. I'm like, of course they do. Of course they do. Everything holds together in Jesus Christ. And He goes on at the end of this paragraph, and He just tells the story of grace. He says, for God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Christ. And through Christ to reconcile to Himself all things by making peace through His blood shed on a cross.
Isn't that amazing? You're being held together by Christ. We can do the sign of the cross for anybody now and go, it's your glue, man. <laughs> you can't escape the love and light of Christ. Let me read this from you from Thomas Torrance. This is powerful. The constancy of physical light is a reflection of the constancy of God, His nature, and the way He relates to His creation. Just like physical light, God, in His pure love, is always moving towards you in total purity and goodness of intention. To embrace you intimately and personally. He does this regardless of your direction of travel, your attitude towards Him, or your moral performance. Go figure. God's love is as constant, unerring, and warming as the rays, rays of the sun just pounding you. There is no shadow or turning in all of God's nature and character, including His wrath and judgment, must be understood from the basis of the primary truth that He is love and He is light. His wrath and anger is only ever directed towards those things that harm His beloved children and His creation, not towards His children or His creation themselves. His light, He Himself, shines on all, constantly, unceasingly, regardless of their attitude towards Him. God's very being radiates Constant, unchanging, unrelenting, pure love and warmth. Nothing, no one escapes his love. But there are many who are blind, deaf, dumb, lost, who don't sense that. In fact, they feel it like it's if it's a a harsh, mean fire. But it's his love. Light shines through all things. For a long time, we've, I'm not going to read this verse, but John, 1 John 2 talks about us speak to you children, young man, father. That tree on the wall over there is an image of what we're about here at Hope Fellowship. Knowing your identity is number one. But then we're called to grow up. Seed, sapling, tree. Stages of growth. The journey of going and growing. Child, young man, father, young adult, adult. I want to highlight a story today from Peter and his journey. Because Peter is a man who's come from unbeliever or law. He was a Jew, so he believed in God, but you know, he, was, he was very, very rigid in the Jewish faith. He was a great rule keeper. One of the one of the best. He was, he was really good. Then he met Jesus. Oh, wait, and then he denies him. <laughs> After knowing his heart, he still denies him. Like, what is that? None of us have ever done that, have we? Ever, ever, ever in our behavior. Never, never. Peter does it. 
And then he discovers grace. After the cross, a revelation of grace hits him. He gets grace. Peter thinks, thinks he gets grace. And in this story, we're going to try and move Peter from grace to more grace. I think many believers are stuck here. They think they get grace because they, ooh, it's so much better than the law. Yeah, I get it, yeah. How can there be more? Oh, man. I'm going to let the story speak for itself. Uh, who sent me this picture? It was Debbie? Is it, did you take this one? He actually took, Jerry took this picture. House of Simon the Tanner. This is a trip to where? Israel. Very good. I knew you knew, but... <laughs> Acts chapter 10. How many read the homework that I gave them last week? Did anybody actually... You did. You get an extra brownie today. Yes. In fact, there are treats at the back today from the wedding. Leftovers. And they look so good. And all you watching, <laughs> you don't get one. All right. Just rubbing it in. Show up and you're fine. <laughs> it's so mean. Did anybody else read the story? Okay. You guys did. Did you see something you never saw before? Or not sure? Tell me at the end, after I'm done, if you saw what I saw. How's that? Is that fair? Because this is, this is like moving from grace to more grace, that his love is even farther reaching than I thought. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius. This is Acts chapter 10. Who was captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout man who feared the God of Israel and did as did his entire household. He gave generously to charity and was a man who regularly prayed to God. By the way, he is not a believer. Okay? Do you hear that? Does not, this, he is not implied as a believer at all in this. One afternoon, around three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming towards him. Cornelius, the angel said. And Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, Your prayers and the gifts to the poor have not gone unnoticed by God. Now send some men down to Joppa and find a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, the leather worker, Tanner, who lives near the shore. Ask him to come and visit you. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants, and he told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. All right, who initiated this? Who initiated the visit with Cornelius? Anybody know? I know it's obvious, but you can speak up. God. Thank you, God. Hello. You kind of can engage a little bit, you know. All right. God is the initiator of this story. This is big to remember for all you who are trying to serve God and please Him and get Him to like you more or try and stay right with God. We talk about that enough here. I doubt that happens here. 
And if it does, it's, it comes and goes quickly because we're suddenly reminded, oh my goodness, what am I doing? God is the initiator. That's story A. Now we come to Peter. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the city, Peter went up to the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while lunch was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. And in the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. And the voice said to him, Get up, Peter! Kill and eat them! Never, Lord, Peter declared. I have never in all my life eaten anything forbidden by our Jewish laws. I've never eaten anything unclean. Are you kidding? Why would I start now? Ooh, son, you don't talk to your dad like that. (laughs) That's what we could say, right? This is St. Peter. You see, Peter thinks, you know, I get grace because I'm, I'm now in this guy's house and it's wrong for any Jew to have anything to do, touch or be near anything dead. And what do you think tanners do or leather makers do? What do they, where do they get their leather from? Where does it come off of? Now, don't go too detailed. But anyway, that's, that's, you get the point. This is a house of dead animals and dead skins and dead... Yeah, and, and Peter thinks, I got this. Okay, I, can, I can handle this much grace. Got it. I have grace for the unclean. <laughs> do you see? He's, he's got it. See, folks? I'm staying at his house. The voice spoke again. If God says something is acceptable, don't say it isn't. The same vision was repeated three times. The sheet was pulled up to heaven. I love this next sentence. By the way, if you've heard some of this before, it's because you might have heard Craig Snyder teach on this. And when Craig taught this, it impacted my life about six years ago. I've been wanting to talk about the story ever since. Here's the sentence. Peter was very perplexed. (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) God's wanting me to eat stuff I'm not supposed to eat at all. He's more afraid of being judged now. Remember, he was more of the appearances kind. He had problems. Paul had to call him out on some things in his, in his journey because he thought he was grace, but he only hung out with the Jews graciously. What's that? Perplexed. What could this vision mean? And just then, imagine the timing. Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found the house and stood outside at the gate. They asked if this was the place where Simon Peter was staying. Meaning, meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over this vision, as he's puzzling over this vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Go down, go with them without hesitation. All is well, for I have sent them. What am I going to do next week? You might be wondering. 
What am I going to do next year? What in, what in six months, where am I going to be? Oh, no, what's going to happen to my kids? What's going to happen? Oh, no. The fear of thinking ahead, God is speaking at the moment, at the very milliseconds of an event happening and taking place. God can get your attention. He's big enough. He doesn't need your help. And he doesn't have to tell you everything in advance. You can trust your daddy. He has good plans for you. And he's got plans for Peter here. So just as he's having this vision, wondering what the heck's going on, oh my goodness, what am I going to do with all this? He's super perplexed and God says to him, you're going to go with some guys. So he tells him what to do, go with them. Tells them where, wherever they're staying. He doesn't even give them the answer. And then he tells them how to, what kind of attitude he's supposed to have. Think God's big enough to tell you to have a good attitude or a godly attitude? He says, don't go without hesitation. Because I know you. <laughs> he does. Peter would have so many reservations. He's the one who questioned everything. But, 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 but. He's saying, no, without hesitation, go. <laughs> That's wild. I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? Now, maybe he was trying to figure out and get some more info. Because <laughs> the Holy Spirit never told me everything. So why have you come? They said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout man who fears the God of Israel and is well respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to send for you so you can go to his house and give him a message. So Peter invited the men to be his guests for the night. The next day they went with him. He went with them, accompanied by some other believers from Joppa. Okay, stop. There's a rule for Jews that's really important. And it's regarding Gentiles or non-Jews. They're not allowed to be together let alone enter their home. This is like a super big rule. Okay? Do you know how your mom said you're not supposed to play with those kind of kids because you'll become like them? <laughs> yes. Some of us more than others. Yes. Here they go. They arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for him and had called together his relatives and close friends to meet Peter. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell to the floor before him in worship. But Peter pulled him up and said, Stand up! I'm just a human being like you! So Cornelius got up, and they talked together, and went inside where the others had assembled. Talk about anticipation. Do you ever get excited about some good news? Do, do, you, do you have a, a, a joy that you just can't wait to tell others about? Or you have a special person coming that can share some good news? Do you invite your friends in to hear this or you just kind of keep it to yourself? Interesting question. Great example here. I love this. Peter told them, You know it is against the Jewish law for me to come into a Gentile home like this. See? You know it is. And yet you invited me? Seriously? But God has shown me that I should never think of anyone as impure. So I came as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent me here. 
that verse is critically important. Let me show it to you in a couple of translations. Acts 10, 28. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. You got to read it in your own Bible at some point, okay? Just so you know it's not me making this up. I never saw this before. You see, Peter believed there's clean Jews and unclean. Everybody else, especially Gentiles, were clearly unclean. And this is before Cornelius is a believer. He's not a believer yet. And ESB says, And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. Unholy, set apart. Okay? Unclean, dirty. <laughs> Young's literal translation, But to me God did show to call no man common or unclean. King James Version, But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Now, is it pretty consistent? Each translation, they're saying the same thing. He's not to call any person unholy or unclean. He got more grace. He started to see that the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of the cross, is farther reaching than he imagined. Do you think it took him a while for that to sink in? Yep. Just like we catch tidbits of truth and go, Oh, that's, that's so big. I, it's going to take me a while to get this. Yep. That's why I don't argue anymore. Because I'm still getting some stuff. It's like, whew. I don't know how to explain that one. But I know in my heart, I believe it. Do I understand it? No. You do not need to understand this in order to believe it. That's really important. Some people think you have to understand first and then believe. No. The other way around. I want to understand. In fact, I remember when I first heard the basics of identity, you know, 17, 18 years ago. I went nuts calling all kinds of people. Say, what does this mean? How does it apply here? What about this verse? What about that verse? Because that's exactly the opposite of what I've seen. And, and I've always saw that verse meaning from my old lens. I, how, how does it fit for this new lens? Same verse. Some of them took years. Suddenly, oh my goodness, a, a paradigm shift. The same verse. I now see it differently. And once it's been seen, it can't be unseen. I see this now. I see the light shine through everyone in all people. That does not mean they are all believers. Hopefully I get to a quote that I've got ready to show you. i got lots of, I might have too much stuff, but Let's go. Thomas Torrance writes this. We must affirm resolutely that Christ died for all humanity. By the way, Thomas Torrance was a fantastic theologian. He was not a light-brained guy. If you read any of his stuff, you're going to go, seriously, I have to read that? He's hard to read, okay? Just warning you. Don't go running out and buying his book. He's about that thick for just one of them. And it's, Man, it's a monster to read, but it's deep. It is so deep. We must affirm resolutely that Christ died for all humanity. That is a fact that cannot be undone. 
all men and women were represented by Christ in life and death in his advocacy and substitution in their place. That is the finished work and not a mere possibility. It is an accomplished reality for in Christ, in the incarnation and in his death on the cross, God has once and for all poured himself out in love for all mankind, has taken the cause of all mankind, therefore upon himself. And that love has once and for all been enacted in the substitutionary work on the cross and has become fact and nothing can undo it. What Jesus came to do, he did. He succeeded. He took humanity into himself. We have a new creation. Acts chapter 5. I'm not going to read all that, don't worry. But they're wondering what to do with these apostles that are blabbing and, and talking in public now and declaring this gospel. And they're mad that the Jewish leaders are coming together saying, what the heck, let's kill these guys. And then a wise priest says, hang on guys, let me tell you about two different guys who started up this little rebellion and it, it petered out. Twice. And then he says this, so my advice is leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourself fighting against God. I've had people tell me, you're teaching something really wrong. How, that, it's fine. You don't see it the same way. And that, that's fine. But when you say there is no place for this, you have narrowed yourself into a box, a theology, a little cubbyhole that is like an elitist, almost a cult, where there is no room for other sources. What I've been sharing with you here at Hope Fellowship has become a historical journey of theology. I've explored many. I've, I've taught the legalism stuff. I've taught grace, and I still will. And I'm learning more grace. I'm seeing a wider breadth of his love and light. I just see it. I'm not running a rabbit trail to what some fear is universalism. I'm not there. I'm not a universalist in the sense that everybody gets in without believing, blah, 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 blah. That mentality. We're not, we need to even have a... If you want to talk about it, you have to have a real conversation about it. What does that theology actually say instead of just assuming what it means? Go look it up. Do some study. Don't just take my word for it. Don't just start slinging around words that you think you know what it means. That's got to stop. So if this is from God, let it run its course. If it's not, guess who will put it out? God. I'm not afraid. I've asked. <laughs> Steve has told me this. For those that are are opposing you, Mike, just ask them to pray for you. That's a great idea. Pray for me that if I'm seeing something wrong, the Holy Spirit will show me. But I'm being tracked or beamed in. I can't help it. <laughs> this is good stuff. And the best part is, the stuff I'm learning is found in the early church fathers. I was just never exposed to the early church fathers. That's why I never knew about it. That's why it seemed like a new message. And really, 
It's an old message. C.S. Lewis, listen carefully. What then is the difference which he has made to the whole human mass? Is it just this? That the business of becoming a son of God, of being turned from a created thing into a begotten thing, of passing over from the temporary biological life into timeless spiritual life has been done for us. Humanity is already saved in principle. This is big right there. Remember last week I said there is a sense all of creation has already been saved by the work of the cross. I believe this. So that makes you now have to go back and find out what does the word saved mean. Go do your homework. There's a lot of rich stuff there. But I think the salvation that we've been talking about, the one that I want people to, to experience, is the salvation I want them to experience is the one that comes with belief. Because when we believe, we experience the truth of what has already happened. What about those that don't believe? Great. The, the outcome is the same. So when a person, even though they're included, and then they can say a prayer and become a believer, is great. That nothing changes. Those that are included and, and choose not to believe, they're, they're included, but they don't believe. But the facts are still there. Objectively, it's there. They're already saved in principle. We individuals have to appropriate that salvation. But the really tough work, the bit we could not have done for ourselves, has been done for us. That's the point I'm trying to make. What happened on that cross? We have not got to try to climb up into spiritual life by our own efforts. It has already come down to the human race. If we only lay ourselves open to the one man in whom it was fully present, and who, in spite of being God, is also a real man, he will do it in us. And for us. Remember what I said about good infection? One of our own race has this new life. And if we get close to him, we shall catch it from him. <laughs> First Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again into the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So where did this come from? It happened at the cross. Objectively, this happened. New Living Translation says, we have been born again because God raised Jesus from the dead. Young's Literal says, did beget us again to a living hope through the rising again of Jesus Christ out of the dead. All of humanity has died with Christ and all of humanity has been raised in Christ. Now believe it. For it is of no value whatsoever. You don't benefit from it. I love this. 1 Peter 3 from the Passion Translation. We are reborn to experience a living, energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This word, reborn, is the only place in the New Testament where the Greek verb is found. Lego men. See that Lego men on? Yeah, Lego. Just say, Lego my ego. Okay. This shows that God himself, God himself is the one who gives us new birth as newborn believers, filled with the life of Christ. God is truly the Father who gives us new life through his living mercy. This 
is good news. Romans 3. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid it. Yea, let God be true and every man a liar. The facts are the facts. What Jesus did, he did. And whether they believe it or not, it's still true. The faith of God. Faith of God. Not your faith, his faith. Watch this. From uh, theologian George Hunsinger. When God comes to humanity in the history of Jesus Christ, humanity at the same time is brought to God in that history objectively. It is not faith which incorporates humanity into Jesus Christ. Faith is rather the acknowledgement of a mysterious incorporation already objectively accomplished on humanity's behalf. Faith. Huh. Galatians 2.20. Love, love, love this. I have been crucified. Past tense. You have been crucified. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. We're going to challenge that in a minute. That's what we've, this is the traditional version. By faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself for me. That word in is incorrect. It does not say in. We live by the faith of the Son of God, which totally changes the meaning. The King James Bible got it right. King James Version says, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Young's literal translation says, I live by Son of God faith. Not your own, His, which is a gift to you. So what's my part? Receive. (laughs) Believe. That's it. Believe. You don't have to understand it all first. Believe it. The Holy Spirit confirms in you already if this is true or not. Someone here recently said to me, and this made my day, says, what I've been hearing, I've known since I was young, but not been put into words yet. Thank you. It's true because it's true. It's confirmed in you because the Holy Spirit is saying, yes, it is true. If you're wrestling with it, great, enjoy the wrestling. There are answers. But I refuse to be a vending machine for people where they send me, what about this verse? What about that verse? No way. I'm not robbing you of your journey. It took me a long time to get this. (laughs) I'm going to give you what I can, but for some of the unpacking, there's some paradigm paradigm shifts that have to happen in our thinking. Western dualism is the biggest one, and we'll talk about that another time. We've got Christmas coming up and stuff, so we're not going to have time for this until the New Year sometime. But it's big. I want to get into this. John 21, wrapping this up, last verse. Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple, the disciple Jesus loved. The one who had leaned over to Jesus during the supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, I love this, what about him, Lord? Oh man, do nobody here ever does that. 
What about them? What about him? What about her? What about those who don't believe? Oh, I love this answer. This is like chilling. It's almost a shut up answer. I love it. He says, Jesus replied, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? As for you, follow me. Don't you worry about what that person believes. You follow me. You believe the revelation I've given you. It may not be the same as their revelation. Don't crave for their stuff. Unless the Holy Spirit drawing that in you and saying, hey, I'm pointing to something that I want you to awaken to as well. That's great. But get off that little trippy horse that says, I want, I want, I want. And remember the kids, and one kid has candy, and everybody goes, I want it too. Well, chill. What about him? And then God says, that's my kid. You're not his daddy. I am. Don't you worry about them. The Christian religion is about judgments. The religion. Judging one another. It's the worst part of religion. Jesus just removed it. He said, stop it. Let me be your daddy. Let me be your revealer. Let me be the one who makes this make sense for you in your heart, in your time, and in my time. We're not in a rush. You can't manufacture revelation. <laughs> it's given. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are people who are going to have questions from this. Father, will you gently, gently reveal and gently show us. Show me. Continue to grow me. Where I am wrong, correct me. You're big enough. But it's making you bigger. It's making your love broader. Ah, I'm loving you more, and I'm loving your creation even more than I ever have before. It's got to be you. Thank you, Father. Be our revelation. I pray this in Jesus' name. <laughs> Amen.